can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to finish out the chapter um, this morning. I wanted to remind you, as I do periodically, you know, why do we read um, so much of God's Word? Why do we have so many verses in our call to worship? Or, or why do I read these whole sections or sometimes chapters? Um, and the reason behind that is because we really do believe that our God is great. And because he's great, his words are great. And what he has to say is better than anything I'm going to say in the next 30-ish minutes. And so um, that's, that's why we do it, to hear from him first before you hear from me. So if you are able, would you stand um, as we read God's word together, starting Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a great God. Lord, we gather here this morning because of your greatness, because we believe in it, because we love you, because we think that you are worthy to be worshipped. We think that you are so awesome. We just want to get together and sing songs about you. We want to hear the words that you have to say, and we want to listen to them. We want it to affect our lives, not just on Sunday, but for the rest of our lives. Lord, I ask um, that you would come in this place. Lord, that you would respond to the faithfulness of your people who have gathered here, and that they would hear you. They would leave this place being fed, not from me, but through you and through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, my wife, Brianna, has really kind of started to get into gardening. And she's learned a lot of this from, from many of you. And I think she's really great, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, I've gotten to watch her take some of these little seeds and grow them in, in cups. And they've started to bloom into these beautiful flowers in our front yard. Seeing as she's taken sections of our yard that's mostly just weeds, and now it's become a flower bed that's bursting with life. Um, but what would happen if I was the only gardener in the house? Well, because Brianna's good, but I'm not always the best listener sometimes, and I'm definitely not the best gardener, okay? So when I get left in charge of plants, like when she's out of town, they, they tend to suffer just a little bit. I'm not even quite sure I know how to water them correctly. If I'm doing too much or not enough, I, you know, I don't, I'm just not very good at it. But our lives often really are somewhat like gardens. Um, they can grow the fruit of the Spirit, and they can be like an arboretum filled with the most beautiful flowers that you can imagine. And more, 
our lives can grow the weeds of sin and they can become like an overgrown nightmare of thorns and thistles. Kind of like my yard if I don't mow for a couple of weeks and maybe yours. But all of us, right, as Christians, we want to be good gardeners of our lives. If you're a Christian, you want to grow the fruit of the Spirit. You don't want the weeds of sin to pop up. But the question is, well, how do we do that? And that's what we're going to wrestle with this morning. And that's what I think um, Galatians 5, the, the last half of it, really is about. And so we're going to look at a few things this morning. We'll, we'll start looking at gardeners. Um, then we're going to look at weeds and fruit. And then finally, kind of our application. Um, and really our central question this morning is, you know, what really is growing in the garden of your life? I want you to be thinking about that. So our first point this morning, if you're taking notes in our bulletin, there's a little section in there, you can do that. Um, our, our first point is that the kind of gardener you have um, determines what grows. The kind of gardener you have is going to determine what grows really in your life. And in our lives, what we see is there is a constant battle between the weeds of sin and the fruit of the Spirit. But God's word tells us here how to keep the weeds out of our life from growing and how to grow the right things. Verse 16 tells us, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have to walk by the spirit and walk in the scriptures, right? It's almost always used to describe how, the way that somebody lives their life. That wherever life takes you, however it's going, wherever you are, the Holy Spirit should be there with you. He should be your guide. He should be at your side. Another way to think about it is the Holy Spirit really should be your gardener, right? He should be the one that you trust to take care of your life. He should be the one that you're seeking out when you need advice. You should be listening to all of his advice when he gives it, not just ignoring it. You know why? Because if we walk by the Spirit in 16, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That if we're walking closely alongside Jesus, if we're abiding in the Spirit, then we won't sin. The weeds of sin can't take root in your life and won't grow if that's what you're doing. But notice how Paul frames these weeds of sin. He frames them as desires of the flesh. And it's contrasted in verse 17 with the desires of the Spirit. So these two desires are at war all the time in our hearts and in our lives. The weeds of sin and the fruit of the Spirit, and they're competing within one another. They both want to grow. They both want our attention. They both want to take over. And this is why submission to the Holy Spirit is so significant. And walking with Him is a constant need in our lives. But these two desires are always active. You notice, too, it doesn't list a neutral desire here. There's no place of no desire. The reality is something is always growing in the garden of your life. And it's either going to be sin or holiness and sanctification. There's, but there's never nothing happening. Verse 17 further describes this constant growing as a conflict and war. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So this constant opposition and conflict between the flesh and the spirit, between our desire to sin and our desire to please God. And the frustrating thing about this conflict is there's often stuff that grows in our garden we don't want there. Right? Christians don't want to sin. We shouldn't. If it was a one-time decision, if somebody offered you a choice and said, hey, if you just take this pill or you decide now you don't want to sin ever again, all of us would say, yes, please, sign me up. That's, that's what I want. And yet we do sin continually. Right? We do things and we scratch our heads and go, oh, why did I do that again? And the law of Moses is not a helpful gardener. See, part of the argument the Judaizers and circumcision party that we've seen throughout the, the book of Galatians has been telling them, hey, the law is the best way. 
The only way to defeat sin and death in your life is follow this careful list of rules that God has given. And don't worry, we added some extra ones on there just to help out. And if you just do it all this way, then no weeds are going to grow in your life. It's all going to be great. But Paul reminds us in verse 18, hey, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You don't need to listen to the advice of that gardener. You don't have to follow carefully all the instructions given to Moses. You just need to be led by the Spirit, be obedient to God's Word. That's what you need. And if you do that, then God promises you will not gratify the desires of the flesh because the Spirit frees us from sin. Now, He doesn't free us to sin and then to do whatever it is we want to do. Now, I don't know about you. I often find the Holy Spirit doesn't always agree with all of my ideas. Okay, I often feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life that maybe my ideas, my opinions, or the things that come out of my mouth are wrong and sinful. Find as I walk with the Spirit, He often shows me weeds in my life that I didn't even know were there. I thought they were beautiful flowers, but suddenly the Holy Spirit tells me, no, 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 that's a weed. You've got to get rid of that. I have told this story once before, so you'll have to forgive me if you've heard it, but my father once, you know, helped me in my quest to be a gardener. He's a farmer in church in Nebraska who came and gave us some lima beans and corn. And so he set us up. We turned our sandbox into a garden and we planted them. And my dad being, you know, the kind of gardener he is, he went out into the garden. He pulled some weeds for me. But the problem was he didn't really pull weeds. He pulled up all the corn and lima beans. So a couple months later, when I went out, you know, to get my corn, it was just all that was in my garden was weeds. Had nothing. You know, the kind of gardener you have is going to determine what grows. If my, you hire my dad to be your gardener, you're not going to like what you find after a while. He's going to ruin your garden. Okay, but if you hire some of the women in our church to come be your gardener, you're really going to like what happens in your yard. Because they know what they're doing. The reality is that the law of Moses is a terrible gardener. It's got plenty of instructions, but it can't make fruit grow. It can't make the weeds stop. And also, we are terrible gardeners of our own souls and our lives. None of us should just be left alone to our own devices. You know, the world will tell you, no, you're the best gardener you could be. All your desires are good. Just follow them, and you'll see all this wonderful fruit will grow. But even our desires, they're at war within ourselves. And when we're left on our own, all that's going to be found as devastation and weeds. The gardener we need really is the Holy Spirit. We need God. We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. And He is the only gardener who can make fruit grow in the dead soil of our lives. Nothing that we grow alone is going to last other than maybe weeds. So we talked a little bit about the kind of gardener that determines what grows. Well, let's talk about what actually grows. Let's turn to weeds first. So our second point, if you're keeping notes, is that sin grows weeds in the garden of your life. Sin grows weeds in the garden of your life. In this section two, we, we really get two lists. We get a good list and we get a bad list. Most of us really focus on the good list, right? The fruit of the Spirit. We're going to spend a little more time on the bad list and on the weeds. And he, this first list, he calls it the works of the flesh. And you notice that this is plural. There's lots of different kinds of weeds that you're going to find. So let's walk through these leads. Let's kind of see what they are. And really, as we look at it, you need to seek the Holy Spirit, look at your own life, and try and identify how many of these weeds are in your own life. So I'm sure there are a few. So let's read the whole list first, and let's walk through it slowly. It starts in verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So let's look at this one at a time. The first one, sexual immorality, that's meant to be a broad term, right? It's kind of, it's a catch-all Greek word, pornea, which might sound familiar to you. And it's intentionally vague. Now, why? Well, because we're human beings and we're always coming up with new kinds of ways to sin, especially in the, the realm of sexuality. I read this week a story about new and improved sex robots that are being created. Well, that's sexual morality. That's why it's vague, so that you know that's not a good idea. Polygamy, polyamory is becoming more popular once again. There's nothing new under the sun. That's also sexual immorality. Pornography, which studies tell us, is also rampant in churches. That's sexual immorality. Homosexuality is sexual immorality. Really, any kind of sexual activity that takes place outside of an opposite-sex marriage, that's sexual immorality. But even then, there's things that can take place inside an opposite-sex marriage that is also immorality. You view sex as a right that you can just demand from your spouse whenever you want. That's sexual immorality. Lust, looking at someone who's not your spouse, seeing them as nothing but a vessel to fulfill your sexual desires, that's sexual immorality too. Hopefully you get it. I could go on and on, but there's a lot more here in this list. The question to ask is, hey, is sexual immorality growing somewhere in my life? And where? The second thing we have is he mentions impurity. This is the uncleanness that comes in our soul and our lives, not just as a result of sexual sin, but really any sin, right? It's part of the feeling that comes after the euphoria of the, the sinful choices that you made. I'm just going to tell them off and it'll feel really good. It's after that feeling passes when you come to your senses and you recognize the guilt and the wrongness of what you've done. That's impurity. Is impurity growing in your life. Sensuality is next. It's a common word. It's usually used for sexual sin as well, but it kind of has to do with the attitude of sin. It's emphasizing a lack of restraint or a care about God and his commands and what he has to say. It's sensuality is the unbridled embrace of whatever desire, sexual or otherwise, that comes into your life. It's the flaunting of sin as something good and holy and awesome that Jesus really wants for you. It treats it like it's something to be celebrated, but it is a weed the sensuality growing in your life. We have idolatry. It's another wide catch-all term because we might not bow down to golden statues anymore, but make no mistake, you have plenty of idols that you worship. Theologian John Calvin you know, famously said, the, the heart is an idol-making factory. We are always producing more. And usually we don't recognize them. We're good at seeing other people's idols, not so much our own. And idols, really, they're, they're things that we worship instead of God, which is good, but that's a little abstract, right? Because you give me that definition, I'm going to explain away any idol you point out in my life. So it also leads to plenty of teenagers, right, breaking up with their girlfriends or boyfriends because they think liking somebody, oh, he must be an idol. I've got to get, get rid of that. It leads to some confusion. I can think a better definition, at least I think. Maybe you disagree with me. I think an idol is something that you will sin to keep or you will sin if somebody takes it away from you. Whatever that is, that is probably an idol in your life. So is idolatry growing in your life? Next one we have is sorcery. This might be one you think you're really good on. You know, after all, I don't have any cauldrons in my backyard. I've not been working on any spells, although, you know, I really do love reading stories about wizards and magic. That's really fun, but, you know, I haven't started practicing any of that. You know, but at its heart, 
Sorcery and witchcraft, especially in the Bible, is an attempt to control and manipulate God. It is thinking that if you do the right things, if you say the right words, then maybe we can bend the universe to our will and control it the way that we wish that it would be. That's sorcery. And thinking, hey, if we just pray the right kind of prayer with these words, maybe if I pray the prayer of Jabez, God's going to do exactly what I want him to do. That's sorcery. That's another weed. The sorcery growing in your life, this desire to control God. We have enmity. It's a hatred of one's enemies, whether they're relational enemies, political enemies, national enemies, racial enemies, any other kind of enemy you can dream of, and you have hatred towards. It's people we often talk, right, about how we're more divided than ever, but we really don't mean that people disagree more now than they ever did before, right? Because people always disagree. What we really mean is there's more enmity. There's more hatred than there used to be, we think. But this enemy, enmity, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, right? The hatred and the enmity that was born between the serpent and the people of God and the seed of the woman. The hatred that Satan has for the church and for the people who worship God, that our hatred all is kind of born out of that, I think. But is there a place that enmity and hatred for others, especially people that you see as your enemies, or maybe you see them as God's enemies and you define it that way first? Is that growing in your life? We have strife, strife's closely connected, right? It's the weed of contention, fighting with one another. It's born of the hatred that we have, and then it spills out in actual conflict, not just feelings and emotions. Is there strife that's growing in your life? We have jealousy, the context here for this jealousy, it's seeing what others have around us and wanting it. It's looking at your neighbor across the street to see what they have. It's hearing the praises of somebody else's prayer request that got answered and you wonder, how oh God, why did you answer that one? You didn't answer me. I wish, I wish mine would have been answered. And jealousy is primarily us focused, right? It can't handle other people being blessed by God. It wants the blessing for itself. Can't let fruit grow in the garden. It needs to snuff it out. Jealousy is a weed. Is jealousy growing in your life? We have fits of anger, parents of young children, and this might describe you, right? I'm outing myself here too. The rest of you, you watch the wrong kind of news, this might describe you as well. It's the flash of anger and outbursts, yelling and throwing things, at least to screaming. It's an uncontrollable temper that hurts others. I've noticed this weed growing in my three-year-old son's soul this week, right? He started yelling at us a little bit. And the first time I did it, I, I thought for a second, I thought, where in the world did you learn that? How'd this weed get into his garden? Oh, yeah, it came from me, right? <laughs> right but, but this too, this, this anger, we, we laugh, but it's a weed that destroys our lives, destroys our souls. We cannot be given over to fits of anger. Christians should not be people that are known to have outbursts. Is anger growing in your life? We have rivalries, or your translation may say selfish ambition, disputes, selfish rivalries. This weed, it sees people not as brothers and sisters in Christ. It sees people not as somebody made in the image of God, the infinite value and worth, but it sees them as rivals to be competed with, people to be crushed and defeated instead of loved and served. Is rivalry growing 
in your life. Dissensions and divisions, those are two similar weeds, just putting them together. It's, it's kind of the, the result of that. It's weeds that fracture and fragment churches, communities, nations, really anywhere people are. It's the dividing of people into groups and parties with the, divide, with the desire to beat one another. It, this is a weed that doesn't even want other weeds to exist, let alone fruit. It's trying to get rid of everybody else so it can be the only one. It fights amongst itself, and as soon as it gets rid of the other group, then the, that group of weeds starts fighting amongst itself too because dissensions and divisions never ends. There's always another way to divide us. Envy, it's a weed like jealousy, desires what others have. Can't just be satisfied with what God has given as it always wants to take and take and take. It hates that other plants are getting sunlight and wants it all for itself instead. Envy's a weed. Is it growing in your life? We have drunkenness and orgies. These weeds, they're really not just nearly kind of sexual in nature. It's the giving over yourself completely and just being unconstrained at all is the idea here. And so the drunkenness can maybe giving yourself over to be filled and controlled by alcohol or drugs instead of the Holy Spirit. And these orgies, you can think of the wild, uncontrolled parties or revelries is another translation your Bible might have. Think of the, these Roman parties they would have in Paul's day of just uncontrollable hedonism where people would eat as much as they wanted and they would eat till they were stuffed and then make themselves throw up so they could eat even more because the goal is just maximum pleasure. It's uncontrollable hedonism, but it's a weed. It is hedonism, a desire just to be pleased no matter the cost growing in your life. Then he ends it too with and things like these. In case you thought he left it easy, he leaves it open. Because sin leads to more weeds than you could possibly imagine. And if you examine your soul in your life, you're probably going to find you have many of these weeds growing. Maybe even growing in places you didn't know they were. So often we can see lists like this. We can think of a person we know whose life looks like a jungle. Right? Instead of looking at our own lives to see where there are weeds that we didn't quite see them there before. What is the consequences of letting these weeds grow unheeded in our souls? Well, he tells us in verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a fierce warning of eternal judgment. You can't be a Christian and let these weeds grow unhindered in your life. You might get nervous, right, because of that phrase, well, those who do such thing. Well, does that mean if I got a single weed in my garden that I'm not saved? I got to rid of all, get it perfect. Well, no, the, the verb here even, it has this kind of habitual and continual idea in mind. You know, and he's, he's acknowledging, hey, we're going to be fighting and finding weeds in our souls and in our lives for our whole lives until Jesus returns or until the day that you die. But if you tap out, if you decide to give up and to quit fighting these weeds and sin and just do whatever you want to do, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So picture this. I've got some wood vines by my fence, right? I really hate these things. Um, I wish they would go away. I'm kind of doing my best to get rid of them, but they just they keep coming back, right? So I go out there and dig them up and remove and pull out all the roots I can reach, and, but still there they are again. If you drive by my house, you'll see more of them because I haven't done anything about them in the last couple of weeks, but I need to, right? But if I just gave up, if I just said, you know what, wood vines, you, you win. You can, you can have the fence back. You can have that spot and just let them grow. That is like the person who won't inherit the kingdom of God. It's the person who's no longer trying to pull up the weeds of sin, who gives up and just lets it, lets it go. 
That, I think, is what Paul is, is talking about here. And so those are the weeds, but really, well, what about the fruit? Point number three in our bulletin um, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who grows fruit in the garden of your life. The Holy Spirit grows fruit in the garden of your life, or we call it often the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, we'll read it all again and then walk through it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. First of all, notice there's just one fruit. All right, there's all kind of works of the flesh, or there's all kind of different weeds, but there's only one fruit. Okay, we're not going down to Garden Town or another nursery and picking out all the kind of flowers or fruits that you like. You know, just get, this isn't a, a menu option for you to choose which ones you want, and then you can ignore the other ones. This is an all or nothing deal. They're like the petals all around a flower. And it begins with love, because love should be one of the primary markers of a believer in Christ. Right? It sums up the whole law, that you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself, that we are a people of love. So the way that we treat each other, the way that we act, the way that we treat and act towards God, the way that we obey, everything we do should flow out of a true and deep love for God, first and foremost. And are you growing in love? Are you growing in love? What about joy? Joy is another part of the fruit. You know, joy isn't like happiness. Okay, it can't come from human effort. Joy also doesn't just come from circumstances. Okay, anybody can be happy when they're holding a little adorable baby kitten that's snuggling with you. That doesn't take the Holy Spirit. That just takes having eyes and maybe hands, right? That'll bring you happiness. But only the Holy Spirit can bring joy even in the midst of holding a screaming baby. Only the Holy Spirit can bring joy even in the midst of suffering and death. I'm standing at the grave of one that you love. Humanity, we can't bring joy or happiness in circumstances like that by ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Are we growing in joy? Are you growing in joy even in the midst of hard circumstances? Or do you only really have joy when things are great? So that might not be joy. Peace is the next one. Peace is something that's supposed to rule in the hearts of the church. Right? We are not meant to be a people of divisions and rivalries and conflict. We are being a people of peace. And God gives us peace. He says peace that passes all understanding. Even when everyone else around us is fighting. Everyone around us hates each other and is angry and yelling. We are at peace. Are you growing in peace? This is not a time of peace. But do you have peace in your life? What about patience? Patience should be found in us. We live in an impatient age, maybe more than any other, an age that wants everything instantly and quickly, right away. But as Christians, I think we should be the last people to get angry, even in the line at the DMV that's taking way longer than you wanted. Patience is often translated, and it really means long-suffering. Okay, patience acknowledges that you're suffering now, but it is willing to do it before it gets angry and loses its cool. Patience is the ability to suffer, to sit, and to wait, and still not get the answer that you wanted, and yet it endures. Patience suffers for a long time, and it does it without angry. 
If you have patience, you can be a bright light in a very dark world. You might even amaze people in small circumstances that surprise you. If while everyone else is getting angry around you at the airport or while the flights are canceled, you wait in a long line to be told something you really didn't want to know, and you just have patience and joy and peace and love. Are you growing in patience? What about kindness? Man, we also don't have much time for kindness these days. Right, we think kindness, maybe that's something for children. Maybe grandmothers will let them be kind. But kindness is part of the core of what must grow in all of our lives if we want to have the fruit of the Spirit. We should be continually growing in kindness. And, and kindness means grace to the undeserving. Kindness isn't just kind to the deserving, to the people who, who look like they deserve it or who are nice, and so you want to be kind to them too. Kindness is kind even to the unkind. We should show love and generosity to even those who curse us and who are spitting at you. That's kindness. Kindness is often used to describe the gospel, the kindness that God shows sinners by dying on the cross for their sins to bring them salvation. That's the kind of kindness that we should have. Kindness is not optional. Are you growing in kindness? You have goodness. It means our lives, they, they fundamentally should be marked bright by the beauty of a godly character. That we should reflect the goodness of God in how we live. Someone should be able to look at our lives and think, you know, they are a good person, not because of our efforts, but because of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Are you growing in goodness? Well, faithfulness, we're to be a people who are faithful, that we keep our word, that we do what God asks us to do. We're loyal, we're dependable, but not just to people. But you notice too, you know, we're not called to be a successful people. We are called to be a faithful people. We should be faithful all the way to the end, no matter what the circumstances are, that when Jesus returns, he will find us faithful, doing what he commanded us to do, even if nobody around us is, even if our faithfulness isn't resulting in lots of earthly success and blessing. We should be a people who refuse to do the wrong thing, who refuse to go along with what everyone else does, even when other believers appear to be abandoning God's truth, we must remain faithful, no matter the cost. Are you growing in faithfulness? Gentleness, that's another fruit we'd like to skip. Have we read a book as a church? Maybe many of you did. We at least gave it out called Gentle and Lowly. It reminded us of what Jesus is like and that he is gentle. That he is gentle and he is loving to sinners like you and like me. And we're to be gentle even when we correct our enemies. Scripture commands us to do that. We're to be gentle even when we rebuke sinners. Scripture also commands us to do that. We're to be gentle even as we preach and teach from the Bible, that we don't skirt away from the truth, but we do it with a spirit that is gentle. The world says that gentleness is weakness. The church even sometimes says, ah, gentleness is optional. It's not really a time for gentleness. We need to be harsh and rough. But gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not optional. You don't get to pick and choose. Are you growing in gentleness? Self-control, right? We are to be a people who restrain ourselves. Self-control means we don't just give up or give in to every single desire that pops into our hearts or every single thing that we want to do. No, we are controlled. We don't satisfy anger just by bursting out into rage. We don't satisfy every lust by seeking release. We don't sin just because we want to. We don't let sin control us. 
through the Holy Spirit, we control our sin and ourselves. Are you growing in self-control? You know, after listening to all the fruit of the Spirit that we, we should really be growing in our lives, Paul ends with, you know, against such things there is not law. There is no law. What, what does that mean? Well, he's kind of taking another shot at legalism and the law. He's saying, look, you don't need to focus on the rules. You need to focus on the do's and don'ts. Excuse me. Instead, we should focus on the fruit. We should be, look at these and say, hey, are these things growing in my life? Am I growing in gentleness and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and peace? We should focus on that instead. Because if we do, if that is happening, we're fulfilling what the law wanted in the first place and what it was trying to get at. And the fruit of the Spirit, it should be naturally growing in our lives. That as you follow Jesus, as you live by the Spirit, as you walk with Him, each of these areas in our life should grow and they should be coming together gentle and joyful and faithful and good. We should focus on those more than just, well, you know, did, did I watch the wrong kind of movie today? Well, are you, are you becoming more joyful? Are you becoming more like Jesus? There, our last point really is kind of a continuation of the, of the first here. You know, if we want the right kind of gardener, if we want to grow fruit instead of weeds, then really we need to listen to the master gardener who's the Holy Spirit. We need to listen to the master gardener. God is the master gardener. He sent the Holy Spirit to tend to the garden of our lives and to help us. But the power to pull up the weeds of sin by the root, it doesn't come from ourselves. In verse 24, he tells us, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Jesus nailed your sin, your weeds, to the cross. And he died to set us free, not just from the penalty of sin, but also from its power. When he died, our sins died with him. The nails that pierced his body, they pierced our sins as well. We have to remember the gospel in this whole discussion. We don't get rid of weeds from the law. You don't get rid of sin by gritting your teeth and trying harder. You wouldn't have to grow fruit of the Spirit by human effort. We can only really have anything good grow in our lives because of the power of the gospel and because of the redemption of Jesus that he has brought. He brought the dead soil of our lives to life. He made us able to grow anything in the first place. So if this is true, well, okay, that, that, that's good. Let's focus on the gospel. Practically, what do, I, what do I do? Verse 25, he helps us. He says, but if we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. So we grow by listening to the Holy Spirit, who is our master gardener. We have to walk in our lives following in lockstep with him as he goes. So we walk side by side, step by step. Well, how do we do this? Well, first, we have to believe the gospel, right? You, you have to acknowledge that you can't save yourself. You can't make anything grow in the garden of your life through human effort alone. So if you don't know Jesus, that's you. That's your first step. Don't try to do anything. Repent and believe and give your life to Jesus. And then once we believe the gospel, right, we still we need to live our lives in step with Jesus. This is a phrase it means to conform to, right? Jesus becomes the standard of our lives, and the Holy Spirit, He helps us, He empowers us to live our lives according to the way that Jesus calls us to. He helps us pull up the weeds and He helps us grow the fruit. Now, when I read this phrase, you know, keep step with the Spirit, I can't help but think of marching band, right? That's just because I did marching band in high school and a little bit in college, and I enjoyed it um, more in high school than in college, but that's another story. But one of the challenges of marching band, right, is you're trying to get 100 plus people, sometimes 200 people, to all walk in step at the same time. 
and as they're wandering all around the field in different formations, that everybody needs to not just play at the same tempo or not just play the same piece of music that you should have had memorized, but everybody literally needs to walk at the same speed with the same foot exactly so that it looks good. Everybody's right foot needs to go down at the same time. Everyone's left foot needs to go down at the same time. And the way that you keep step is the drum majors. They're standing up in front and they're conducting and they're waving around and you follow their arms to keep everybody there. And if you want to stay in step, you got to watch them. You got to keep your eye on them. Well, the Holy Spirit is kind of like that. The problem becomes, right, we get, we get out of step easily. Right? If, you, um, if you put me in the stands, I, I've driven Bree nuts before with this, it's going to take me f about five seconds to find everybody who's making mistakes. So it's easy to see. Because when everyone's supposed to be walking with a right, I'm just going to have to glance real quick. And, oh, there, right there. They're walking too slow. They're a half second. Nope, that person's on their left foot. Nope, that person stopped too soon. Nope, that one didn't stop, and they should have. Becomes obvious, right? Who is not walking and keeping step? But the Holy Spirit is kind of like a, a drum major there, right? Where he guides us. He shows us where to walk. He shows us when our right foot should go down and when our left foot should go down. And if we walk in step with him, then we're going to make music. Then the fruit is going to grow in our life. But there are three things that threaten to get us out of step, at least that he mentions here, as if you, if you, as if you didn't have enough weeds to worry about in 26. Tells us, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So one of the things that can happen, we can get out of step of the Holy Spirit and we think we can grow in the garden of our life on our own. That's conceited. That's to think you don't need Jesus, you don't need God. You can do it on your own. Don't fall for that. We can get out of step with God when we provoke others, right? When we talk about how terrible their garden is and all the things they need to fix. Well, that's provoking one another. That's not looking at the log in our own eyes, what we... Talk, complaining about the weeds and others. Or we can get out of step and we start wishing that our garden looked like somebody else's. And we start seeing how other people have lived or what the Holy Spirit has done in their life and we start getting envious and wishing. That's envying one another. You know, really we've been kind of a lot of places this morning. I'm going to try and wrap it up here. But, but what we've seen is that the kind of gardener you have is going to determine what grows in your life. And you're either going to grow the weeds of sin or you're going to grow the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes you're going to grow both of them at the same time, often. But if you want to grow the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to be growing in holiness, then you need to listen to the Master Gardener. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit and keep in step with Jesus. And we need to listen to Him, and we can watch as slowly, because it is slow and it takes time, as your life will turn from a massive, overgrown jungle into a beautiful orchard. Not through your own strength, but through the Holy Spirit. One weed at a time. One seed at a time. One rain, one watering at a time as he slowly grows your life into conforming to the image of Jesus. So what's growing in the garden of your life? Is it the weeds of sin or is it the fruit of the Spirit? Let me close this in prayer and stand and then I'll invite the worship team to come and to lead us in worship once more. God, I ask that you would come and you would grow our lives. Lord, we know and we acknowledge that our lives have way more weeds than we wish. Our lives have much more sin than we could ever imagine or ever dream. Lord, but we are so grateful that you love us anyway. 
Lord, you didn't take a look at, at our overgrown lives and think, yikes, I want nothing to do with that. But you saved us anyway. And then you have come and you are empowering us and working alongside us to transform us into your image. Lord, would you do your work? Lord, would you show us the weeds that we have in front of us that we need to take care of now? Would you give us the wisdom and compassion to understand the weeds that we're probably not going to take care of today? And so let's focus on something else. Lord, would you help the, grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Lord, would you transform us and would you make us more like Jesus? Because that is our deepest desire. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we worship our good Savior once more through song. Amen. Now, here's this benediction from the end of Jude, which I find particularly encouraging um, because we, we all stumble and we all know that these weeds are going to remain until um, Jesus returns. But, but hear what this benediction has to say. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.